those that's been following this series, I encourage you to really follow what I've been teaching. We've been going through a series I'm going to continue for a long time, just covering everything about the last days we're living in before Jesus comes and what the Bible says about the last days. Just let me know when you're ready, Brother Zach, and we'll go ahead. Good? All right, Father, I pray over the word tonight, right now. Lord, I'm asking you by your awesome, powerful Holy Spirit, Lord, to captivate everybody's heart and mind by the powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit, the glory of his presence, to be able to lock in tonight. This is important, and everybody's agree with me, to lock in to give you our best ear, our full attention, our minds, to be focused on what you're saying and not distracted by the things. Lord, we ask you to anoint our eyes and ears to be able to see and hear what the Spirit is speaking to the church. And it's not just carnal knowledge, but it, it's spiritual understanding. It's revelation. And Lord, I pray that your word will go out of my mouth, that you would speak through me what you want to say tonight. But as living seeds of truth sown in the good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, that your word will be a light that shines forth in the darkness and dispels all that darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy and brings revelation and truth in Jesus' name. And your word will be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold, every lie, these structures that have been set up against God's people. It will break down those, those lies of the enemy and it will break through so that people can come into truth and also a sword that will cut away what needs to go. We thank you for the awesome power of your word to penetrate tonight and break through, you know, old pet doctrines and traditions of men and things that are not really the Lord. It's just things that have been taught in denominational circles. Sometimes some of it's good, some of it's not. But Lord, break through those old mindsets that are not of you and bring truth and let everything be accomplished that's your will to be done tonight in the word. We thank you for your word. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your awesome presence here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I've been dealing with this series called Spying a Prophecy. And I've dealt with, up to this point, things that we're going to be facing in these last days. For example, when I opened this, I talked about we need to have the right motives in studying end-time prophecy because we're looking for the coming of Jesus Christ, not the necessarily the coming of the antichrist our focus is on the lord and what he's doing not the devil and what the devil's doing i also talked about deception i spent a lot of time in the second sermon talking about what the bible warns us about false teaching false prophets and how to test things make sure it's of the lord and kind of carried on from that talked about the nicolaitans the teaching of the nicolaitans and how it was a, a mixture just different things like that. I've covered a lot of ground so far, but I really laid some groundwork. And last week, we shifted from laying groundwork into the actual starting into the meat, if you will, of what I wanted to get to. So I want to pick up from that. Last week, it was setting the spine. This week, I'm going to talk about the beginning of sorrows. So how many knows the Bible has everything that we need to know about the last days, okay? You're not going to get truth from the media, you're not going to get truth from secular colleges, things like that about the end times and all of that. You're not going to get it. In fact, they'll probably teach you the opposite. 
the only place you're going to find truth is in God's word. And so I know that end time prophecy can be a bit challenging for some people to understand, and I, I get that. I, I spent years studying it myself. But once you understand biblical symbolism, biblical numerology, what numbers mean, what colors mean, and different things like that, and you understand the you know the voice of the holy spirit in the scriptures how he's speaking through symbolism bible prophecy is not really that hard to understand but you do have to have some groundwork laid so i'll be dealing with that as well but tonight i want to speak about the beginning of sorrows which is what jesus talked about would happen before what we know as the tribulation time so i'm ready for jesus to come yeah, so wouldn't it be awesome in the middle of my sermon? Poof, we're out of here. I hope I hope everybody's ready. You know, just just that'd be bad, wouldn't it? I don't think those that went would be caught up with anything but Jesus. But man, I'd feel for those that didn't. All right, so here's here's how the Bible lays it out. This is one one um, aspect of symbolism. So Jesus said there would be this beginning of sorrows that he talked about in Matthew 24 and some other passages in Luke and Mark, but these um, these beginning of things that would happen, which I'll talk about here in a moment, like wars and rumors of wars and all that. But he talked about those as though they were contractions. Like, for example, a woman is pregnant, which I used this symbolism last week, and hey, you know, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. All right, anyway, anyway, this, this uh, symbolism the Bible uses where the you know a woman is pregnant but as she gets close to giving birth contractions begin okay when contractions begin they start a little softer and further apart but the closer that the woman's getting to labor the more frequent and the um, the stronger the contractions will become until it moves from contractions into full-blown labor and then once they go through labor that will be obviously the birth of the child and that is kind of the picture that before what we know is the tribulation time there's going to be contractions these are the beginning of sorrows this is where things are going to keep getting worse but it's going to get more frequently worse and more severe for example things like wars earthquakes pestilence famines all the things Jesus said, persecution of Christians, etc., that I will cover, it's going to grow worse, and it's going to be more frequent, and it'll be more severe, and it will keep building until there is a shift into where the bride of Christ, only the bride, not everybody calls themselves a Christian, the bride that has made herself ready will be caught away, and the earth will move from contractions into labor. Labor is what we know as the tribulation time, which will be... The Bible says will be the worst time the world has ever experienced and that it had to be cut short or nobody would have survived so it's going to be serious times and then that the tribulation time at the end of it will result in the birth if you will of the Messiah coming to Israel to Jerusalem to set up his kingdom for a thousand years so we're living in the time of the contractions And like we talked about last week, um, Brother, Brother Zach asked a really good question. He was talking about the scripture. It says the generation that sees all these things 
um, will not pass away till they see the coming of the Lord. And let me just ask this question, could we be this generation? Could we be? Because, I mean, what I'm seeing in the earth, you know, I've, I've read the Bible many times. What I'm seeing in the earth is pretty much everything that the Bible said that that generation will not pass away till they see the coming of the Lord, including seeing a falling away of people that profess Christianity but now no longer do. Um, also in that, not just seeing the wars, rumors of wars and plagues and pestilence and, and governments moving more toward a one world government and all of that, but also seeing the deception in the church. Seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, weird things going on. So there, there's a lot going on today. So here's the question. Do we want to stop the pain or do we want to have the baby? You know, you need to not get too caught up with the negative because this is leading toward a positive. And when Jesus said, you see all these things, look up, your redemption draws nigh. The coming of the Lord is not far off, okay? And some people are too tied up in this world. They're way too tied up. Well, Jesus, I don't know if I want him to come right now because, you know, I need to make more money. I need to do this. I need to even do more for his kingdom, which is a good motive of the heart. But my goodness, I mean, that can become an idol because when it eclipses, you want him to come. There's something off there. And well, you know, you want to get married. You want to do this. You want to do that. I want to travel. I want to look. Let's not get entangled with the world. I'm ready for Jesus to come now. That's just fine with me. So just a few more things as I laid some groundwork. Jesus ministered on the earth. I know he's prophet, priest, and king. We all know that. But primarily his three and a half years of ministry on the earth when he walked the earth was as a prophet. And whenever he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and his, his sweat turned to blood, drops of blood. You could see that it was beginning to transition there from prophet to not only prophet, but a priest, our great high priest. And he was beginning to make intercession. And we know right now, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. He is currently, right now, our great high priest. But when he comes, He's not only a prophet and not only a priest, but when he comes back, he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords, and he will crush anybody in his way. The Bible says so. He's coming as the Bible in Hebrew says, uh, Mashiach ben David, which is the Messiah, son of David. He's coming as the Messiah, son of David. When he came the first time, he came as Messiah um, like the suffering Joseph figure you remember how Joseph's life paralleled Christ he came as a suffering savior as a lamb but when he comes back he's coming back as a lion that roars and he's coming to take over all right so Satan is trying to stop this because he knows he knows the Bible he knows end time prophecy and he can see the signs just like we can and so Satan is trying to stop this that's why he's trying to destroy Israel that's why he's persecuting Christians and persecuting Jews, things like that. He's trying to stop the Lord from coming, but how many knows it's not going to work? The thing about the devil is he always plays into God's hand every time. You know, when Jesus came on the earth, it, the Bible says in Corinthians, it says, if they would have known what they were doing, they wouldn't have crucified the Son of Glory because by doing so, 
You know, they defeat, I mean, Satan totally defeated himself whenever he pushed the issue of crucifying Christ. He thought at first that, great, I'm killing him. But once Jesus died on the cross, man, the whole thing turned and Satan, that was Satan's greatest defeat. What Satan thought was his greatest victory ended up being his greatest defeat. And that's the way that it always is for him. He'll always play into God's hand. And just like he's trying to destroy Israel and all these things, you know, whenever um, they tried to destroy Israel in 1948, but Israel ended up taking the land and becoming a nation, remember? They tried to destroy Israel again in 1967, but it ended up playing into God's hand, and God gave them Jerusalem. And I got a sneaky feeling in the days to come, they're going to pull the same thing again, and Israel's probably going to take more land again and pretty soon start rebuilding the temple. So everything that the enemy's trying to do, it ends up playing into God's hand. That's got to be humiliating for him. Wouldn't you agree? That's got to be frustrating for the devil. And the earth is being shaken at the coming of the Son of Man as, as the Bible talks about creation groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. And there's literally like the earth is, is beginning to shake and there's a groaning. There's something that's going on because you can sense that we're moving rapidly into the end times. There's restraining forces that God has. The tribulation period will not be able to start until it's time, but it's almost like Satan's trying to start it now. But it won't be able to start until it's time because God has restraining forces in the earth. I believe some of that, yes, is the Holy Spirit, but I, I believe there's also angels that are positioned, but there's a restraining there for a time. But one of these days, the restraint's going to be removed. And, and literally, um, the earth is going to go into turmoil. So, here's something as well. I'm, I'm covering less ground in these sermons, less information, because I really want it to sink in and just take my time with it. But we need to test all the moves of God. The Bible says that there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days. So, since there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be major revivals that are going on. We need to be open to revival and hungry for revival, but we also need to test things with a, with a humble, teachable, Christ-like spirit, not a religious, critical spirit. That is bondage like you would not believe. But from a humble, Christ-like, genuine spirit, to simply test and make sure that things really are of the Lord. So here's kind of a litmus test, if you will. And I'm not the only one that would preach this. I, I've actually heard others talk about this same um, line of thinking here. But number one, a true move of God will always produce the fruit of repentance. It always will. If there, there is no repentance of sin going on, it is not really truly a move of God. It is just emotional hype. Amen? That is a major earmark of revival and always has been. When you study historic revivals, which I strongly recommend that you do, repentance was always at the forefront. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to convict the world of sin. So when he comes and he's moving in power, people are going to feel convicted of their sin and they're going to feel a sense of urgency that they need to repent and get things right with God and thank God for that. Wouldn't that be the scariest thing in the world if you were in a place where God was moving and you felt nothing? That would be scary to me. If there's something that God wants out of my life, I want him to tell me. And I want to feel convicted. 
you know, it would scare me to think that, that God was moving somewhere and something about me was either so hard or so far gone that, that I didn't feel a need to get right. That would be a scary place, okay? Another thing is the fruit of confession of sins. Now, this is interesting. You need to use a lot of wisdom with this, and I'm being serious. But the Bible says, confess your sins one to another and be healed. Now, that's an interesting scripture. Let's think about that for a minute. Confess your sins one to another and be healed. Now, it is important to confess our sins to God, but why in the world would the Bible teach us in James to confess your sins also one to another? I believe because it brings a relief whenever the shame is gone. A lot of people, I've seen it, they come to me, and that's more or less probably what you need to do is go to me or a leader if you need to, you know, confess something and get prayer about it, I wouldn't just go around telling people. Because I'm telling you, not everybody is as Christ-like as they need to be, okay? Um, use wisdom with it. But there is a freedom about being able to talk about things, get it off your chest. I've had people come to me, I've been in ministry 20 years. I've had people come to me, and they felt so ashamed and so embarrassed. They couldn't even look at me. Pastor Scott, this was in my past. I want you to pray with me. And they'd whisper it, you know. But after they told me and after I prayed for them, it was like this weight came off them and they realized, you know, man, you know, it's okay. God forgives me. Pastor's smiling. Everything's all right. You know. I'm serious. It brings a healing, like a relief to people because they, they felt so ashamed, but all of a sudden that shame is gone. It's like now it's, it's okay. God forgives me. I can move on. There's healing in that and possibly even physical healing can release through that. So that's another um, fruit of revival is that people will be confessing their sins and also under that category I would say that they would go and make things right if they've hurt somebody they'll go ask forgiveness are y'all hearing me this is important if they've wronged somebody if they've done something they shouldn't have done they'll they'll go make it right they'll make a phone call whatever and apologize I remember when God really dealt with me about that man years ago there was somebody I had uh, stolen from when I was young. I mean, I was probably like 12, 13 years old. And I, was, I had been saved. I was probably in my early 20s. But the Holy Spirit brought this stuff back to my mind. Of course, this was so long ago. There's nothing you can really do. I, it took me a while to even find the person. But I called him and just apologized. And the person was so gracious. But I felt such a relief after that. It's like, you know, making things right with people. So make sure that you do, if you need to do financial restitution or whatever you need to do, try to make things right with people. It's important. All right, another fruit of revival, a true genuine, genuine revival is, there will be respect and honor for God's word. People will really love God's word. They love the preaching of the word. When people are on fire for God and there's a move of God going on, they love his word. Another fruit of revival is that revival will be exalting Jesus. That doesn't mean that people don't receive honor and respect in a proper way, but Jesus needs to be getting all the glory for everything that's going on. He needs to be lifted up and exalted. We show honor and respect one to another, but ultimately all the glory goes to him, and a true move of God will glorify Christ. Another fruit of a true move of God is true Christian love and the fruit of the Spirit. 
So there will be love in the house. I literally have been several times to churches and ministries where I did not feel any love. I'm just being honest. And that's one of the reasons why when I started River of Life, I talked about it. Make people feel welcome. Talk to me. I've been places where, I mean, it felt very cold. Um, there was, it just didn't feel like a loving atmosphere to me at all. And nobody said anything. You just kind of come in and leave. And it was weird. So where a true move of God is going on, though, there's love and there's the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? All right, another thing is the fruit of changed lives. Now, this is important because, you know, you have to look at, I love the power of God. I think you guys have figured that out. I do. I love the power of God. I love seeing God touch people. I've seen people literally thrown in the air several feet and land on their back. I've seen people, you know, shaking so hard in the power of God that came off the ground. I've seen people laugh so hard, so hysterically, man, I thought they were going to explode. I've seen people cry their eyes out for a long period of time. I've seen all this. I've seen all these demonstrations of the Spirit's power, and that's great. But you've got to understand that just power by itself, Satan also has some limited power. And so, like, for example, in the Bible, it's interesting, I'll get to this in another sermon, but Moses, whenever he went to Pharaoh and he threw down his rod, remember, and it became a serpent, the satanic magicians, which were basically witches, okay, those witches of the Pharaoh's court did the same thing. So Pharaoh, his heart was hardened because he's thinking, you're nobody special. My magicians can do the same thing. In fact, those magicians, um, they uh, copied, I believe it was three of Moses' plagues that he did. They copied them. When the blood, when the water turned to blood, they were able to do that. But there was a point in time whenever the plagues kept coming and the magicians no longer could do it, and Moses' rod also ate theirs. So basically, God was showing his power over the devil's power. But the point of that is that, and I'll deal with this in another sermon, the Apostle Paul talked about uh, Janus and Jambres. Is that right, you guys? I think that's their names. But he talked about them in dealing with end-time prophecy. And he talked about counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs and wonders. So I'm getting said all that to get to this point. Just because there, there's power does not always mean it's necessarily God. Because there's, there's uh, witch doctors out there that people go to in other countries, shamans that, that, you know, they can go to them and get a spell or whatever, and they can be cured of some ailment. Now, that definitely didn't come from God. So just because you see power, it doesn't always mean 100% of the time that it is God. So what you have to do is you have to test the spirits. And one of the ways that you can do that is by looking at the fruit of somebody's life. For example, I gave this illustration. I need to move on because I've already given this. But remember the Apostle Paul was riding down the road on his donkey, minding his own business, and he was going to persecute the church. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to him. He's thrown violently off the donkey, slammed on the ground, blinded. People run away from him, and he, he's blinded for days. He's got to be care, you know, led by the hand to Ananias' house. Now, if anybody came to church and they were violently thrown on the ground and were blinded and they left here, 99% of the people out there would say that is demonic, right? 
But yet, that's exactly what God did to Paul. And Paul ended up being one of the greatest champions that, of the scriptures, you know, in my opinion. So my point is, is that whenever Paul had this power encounter, Paul, you look at, you know, you can't just take a camera and take a snapshot of the event and see, see somebody thrown on the ground and blinded. You hold up that snapshot, hey, we went to church, somebody was thrown on the ground and blinded for three days. How about that? And everybody's going to think, oh, man, that's of the devil. But what you got to do is you got to take out your video camera and you got to follow Paul around for a little while and look at the fruit of his life. What was the fruit, the outworking of that power encounter that he had with God? And it was this. He was once a murderer that was totally against Christianity and was trying to go persecute Christians. And now he ends up being a great apostle for Christ, winning many souls for him. How many knows that's a big change? So obviously that power encounter was of God because the fruit of it in Paul's life was radical. So just because you see a power demonstration and you go out there to different places, don't always just assume that it's God. You need to test it. You need to make sure and look at the fruit of people's lives. All right. And another thing that you need to know about a true test for a true move of God is this, that the fruit of having a burden for the lost. If people ever get where they don't care about the lost, they're not weeping for the lost, they're not praying for the lost, they're not witnessing to the lost, they're, they've grown lukewarm. And that's not a good place to be. So, that's another fruit of a, a true move of God. And I went through these and prayerfully looked at these areas with River of Life. And I personally have seen people repenting getting things right with God, a love for God's word, Jesus being exalted, just like Melissa talked about when somebody was healed. You know, what do they do? They try to thank you, don't they? They try to, oh, thank you so much for healing me. You know, it's like, whoa, I didn't heal you. Jesus healed you. You know, don't put that on me. We just pray. But that's what I'm talking about. So she, she's exalting Jesus. And then another thing, the fruit of Christian love and the fruit of the Spirit, seeing that, the fruit of changed lives and a burden for the lost. So these are things that really encourage me as I look through the scriptures because I see them in the lives of people here. So now let me get to this. We're moving into the time of the beginning of sorrows. Jesus predicted, you can read about this in Matthew chapter 24, that as the end times were starting to happen, that there would be wars, there would be famines, there would be earthquakes, and there would be pestilences. The wars would be political, kingdom against kingdom. We see that now, political. One nation against another nation, kingdom against kingdom. But also, it says that nation will rise against nation, and in the Greek, that's ethnos. So it's ethnic group against ethnic group. So you see a rise of great um, racism, and racial wars that are going on, and we definitely are seeing that. So there would be wars, political wars and ethnic wars. There would be famines. Right now, there is a lot of famine in the world, and, you know, there's a lot more to come, I'm concerned. And also earthquakes. You should do this on your own. Do a study, Google um, a study on earthquakes, and I promise you it will blow your mind how many more and how more severe and frequent earthquakes are in our day than was 100 years ago. 
um, they've been really escalating. And then also pestilences. Pestilences is plagues. It's like the Ebola outbreak and, and, and other West Nile and these different, uh, you know, pandemics that have been breaking out in places that's a sign of the end times that jesus gave us and it's definitely happening okay frequently so there would also be a worldwide persecution of christians this has been going on for some time but it seems to be getting more frequent and and more um pervasive around the world even in america there's more of an anti-christian attitude than there's ever been probably in our history today but the concerning thing is and i don't want to get ahead of myself in this series but there will be a false christianity that will look good but will embrace things like abortion um, homosexuality worldliness you know it'll be very liberal and won't care anything about what the Bible actually truly says. It'll pervert the word of God. And it will really seduce many into it. And not only that, it will definitely go along with the false prophet, the Antichrist, and this world system. And it will be accepted by the world. That's another thing I'll tell you right now. True Christianity, Jesus made it very clear. I believe it's in John 15. He said, the world will hate you because it hated me first so anytime that the world loves something that's not a good sign so there's going to be a worldwide persecution of true christians but there will also be a counterfeit christianity emerging that is already emerging big time in our time and no no offense to anyone but it seems like a lot of the church is brain dead about these things they have no idea what's going on not a clue we're way down the road into this and a lot of people are like what we're in the end times it's like we've we've been in the end times for decades and there's already these things i'm talking about they're already going on and have been going on for some time or there would be also a great apostasy that means a turning your back on the faith people that once walked with jesus and now renounce christianity there would be a great betrayal among Christians. The persecution would be so severe that Christians would, um, you know, be willing to betray their fellow Christians. Some will renounce their faith and betray others, and also there would be false prophets and cults. These are rampant. And I really believe this. You know, I've been doing a lot of different reading and research about the end times since I'm doing this series. I've, I've really done a lot of research over the years and all this I really believe that it's going to be similar to like what it was in Jeremiah's day or you could say maybe in the days of Jezebel do you remember how Elijah was saying I'm the only prophet left but the Lord told him I've reserved 7,000 that have not bowed their knees to Baal but he didn't say 7,000 prophets so it's likely that Elijah and just the handful of prophets that were hidden in a cave was the only prophets left but there was what like 450 prophets of Baal and 400 of Asher or something like that okay you've got like a thousand false prophets and a handful of real in Jeremiah's day there was so-called prophets everywhere and they were all prophesying, prophesying good things and and God is for us and everything's going to be just fine and Jeremiah is the one guy by himself you got to respect this man 
I mean, you got to understand, he was coming up against literally an entire nation and telling them, you guys are sinners, you're not right. I'm telling you, if you don't get right, judgment's coming. And it is very likely in Jeremiah's day, I've really studied this, it is likely that he was the only prophet of God. And there, but there was tons of false prophets everywhere else saying the opposite. So, of course, they hated Jeremiah. They threw him in a pit, put him in prison. They didn't like him and all this and rejected him. But he was right, and he was the one telling the truth. And then you remember the story of Micaiah in the scriptures where, where he went before Ahab, and there was all these other false prophets everywhere. And they were so elaborate with their false prophesying that they even were building props. Remember me telling this story? They even built like some horns. Yeah, with these horns, you're going to gorge the enemy, you know. And they, they even built props for their false prophecies. They were really into it. And then Micaiah comes in there. They drag him in there. It's not like it, reading it doesn't appear that he really wanted to be there. But they drag him in there. And Ahab's like, I hate this guy. He's always saying negative things about me. And... <laughs> Jehoshaphat's a son, you know, a descendant of David's like, the king shouldn't say things like that, you know, because he knew that, that, that he was a man of God. Anyway, Micaiah was the only guy that said, you know, you're going to lose the battle, you're going to die, and, you know, God's not for you. And man, it enraged him. He threw him into prison, and, and everybody persecuted him. One of the false prophets came up and slapped him in the face. And that's the way the true prophets historically have always been treated. But the false prophets have always outnumbered the true big time, like a thousand to one. And the false prophets have always been loved by everybody. But the true prophets have always been hated by the majority. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And I got a feeling in these last days, you're going to see an emerging of a Jezebel spirit like you wouldn't believe. I'm talking about last days. This is going to eclipse anything Israel dealt with. You're going to see a rise of a Jezebel spirit. And you're going to see false prophets like you couldn't imagine. And there's only probably going to be a very small minority of them, that, that, of true prophets out there, that are actually speaking the true word of God. And salted in their messages will be, you better repent. You better get the sin out of your life. You better get right with God. That's what you need to look for. Because that's always been intermixed in the, the message of the true prophets. Did y'all hear that? That's always been mixed into the message of the true prophets. You better get the sin out. You better repent. You better make sure things are right with you and God. The false prophets have always been, oh, everything's going to be great and lovely and wonderful, and God is for you, and, and you know, it's okay that you're in your sin. <laughs> so we need to make sure, be careful who we're listening to. As I talked about early on, I talked about judging prophecy. All right, love growing colds. This is what concerns me. I want everybody's attention on this one. The Bible gives a very clear warning in the last days. And as a preacher, I'm going to just tell it straight like it is. That there would be a tendency to get lukewarm and backslide. I'm telling you, Jesus is not coming for a lukewarm backslidden bride. Did I say that plain enough? He said about the lukewarm backslidden, lukewarm people, he said, I'll spew you out of my mouth, and spew means vomit. So it makes Jesus nauseous. What Jesus is coming back for is a bride that is on fire for him, that love him, that are looking for his coming, 
and that have made themselves ready. Making yourself ready means that you've gotten the junk out and let the Lord wash you and get clean. But there's going to be a tendency in these last days, if you're not careful, to backslide and get cold spiritually. And I'm, I've made up my mind by the grace of God, I'm not going to do it. I, I, by his grace, I'm staying on fire for him, okay? But I'm going to tell you how you're going to stay on fire is do what the Bible says. Have a prayer life, live holy, stay in the word, stay in church. That's how you stay on fire. If you, if you want to, you know, get away from the scriptures and not do that, then, you know, you may grow cold. So let me show you this, and I'll explain this. There, there is a saved, if you will, then there is a being saved, and then there is an enduring to the end. Now, let me explain this. We use the word, <clears throat> like we, we do this all the time tonight. People, we prayed for people, they got saved. Really, what you're saying is they got born again. Okay? We say that word saved all the time, but in reality, what we mean is they're born again. They gave their life to Christ. The word saved in Greek is the word sozo, and it means things like... Um, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, doing well, prospering, things like that. It's the benefits of Christianity. So what you're saying is that at the beginning, when people give their lives to Jesus, is that they're born again. That's the new birth. But then there is the being saved part. That Remember Paul said in Corinthians that the power of God to them who are being saved. What that means is this. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, now you've got to live for him. Living for him is where you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the, uh, what Paul meant, and he, he said it, not me, being saved. It is a process of living out the Christian life, abiding in the vine, bearing fruit, okay? That's the, the process we all live out. But yet there's one more. Jesus said in Matthew 24, to him that endures till the end will be saved. So there is a born again, then there is a process of living it out, and then there is, I am determined by the grace of God, I'm going to endure to the end, even if it costs me my life. And they may one day take our heads off here in America too, but I'm, I'm going to stay faithful to Jesus, amen, even if there's a knife to my throat. All right, so that is an endurance. So make sure that you've established in your life that it's not just a born-again thing, but it's a living it out and an enduring till the end because in these last days, they're going to be very challenging. All right, let me give you a little bit more, and then I need to, to uh, cut it off because I don't want to cover too much information in one sermon. So let's deal with the, the seals of the scroll of the Lamb. When you read the book of Revelation... John was on the Isle of Patmos. Jesus appeared to him. Angels came to him, and he received all this information. He compiles it in the book of Revelation. Years ago, before I understood Revelation, I didn't really like it that much, but once I understood it, I love the book of Revelation. It's, it's incredible. But anyway, the Lord told John to, to seal it up and to send it to the seven churches of Asia. There were more churches than that, but this, there was a reason that God wanted it specifically sent to seven. Now, let me say this, and some people will get this, but I can't dwell on it, but listen to this. The first half of the tribulation period 
is connected to the morning sacrifices of the temple. And the last half of the tribulation, which is done in darkness, is connected to the, the evening sacrifices. It's really an interesting study. So there's a strong connection with the book of Revelation and heaven's temple. You gotta understand, when God gave Moses that tabernacle, he was given things that were heavenly. He was replicating on the earth what was actually seen in heaven. So God's throne is the Ark of the Covenant, and there is a temple, so to speak, in heaven. And so the morning and evening sacrifices, which I cannot teach on, you guys have been here long enough to know what I'm talking about. The first half of the tribulation, it's like it's connected to the morning sacrifices, and it's connected to the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. The second half of the tribulation is connected to the evening sacrifices, and it is the wrath of the Father. Is this making sense? The first half of the tribulation is the wrath of Jesus because of the way that they treated his people. But the next half of the tribulation is going to be a wrath of the Father, and it's because of the way they're treating Israel on the earth. For people that don't know this, because I, I don't know who all does, but God the Father, and I can't dwell on this either, God the Father at Mount Sinai when he gave the Torah to Israel and his presence was over top like a spiritual chuppah over there, okay? They came up, he, it was a marriage ceremony. The Torah was the ketubah, the, the, the marriage um, document that was given, okay? The contract. And God married himself, the Father married himself to Israel, but Jesus, the church, is the bride of Christ. So the first half of the tribulation, Jesus is responding to the earth by the way they treated his bride, but the second half is going to be the Father responding to the earth by the way they're treating Israel. Does that make sense? Okay, I need to move off that. So the seven churches that were given these documents, the book of Revelation, are actually prophetic, a prophetic timeline for the last 2,000 years. And I'm just going to read this so you can do a study on your own. The first church was Ephesus. Ephesus means to let go and relax, and it represents prophetically from A.D. 33 to A.D. 100, and it is the time of Book of Acts Christianity when God was really moving in power, but they lost the fire. That's what the first letter represents. The second letter was to Smyrna, which means crushed myrrh. And it speaks from 37 to 312. And this was the time of great persecution of the church. And some of you have read about this in Rome, where they had the Colosseums. They'd bring the Christians in and the lions would eat them, things like that. They would dip them in oil and, and set them on fire. This was the 10 emperors from Nero to Diocletian that violently persecuted the church. That was the book to Smyrna. The next was Pergamum. When I say the book, I'm just talking about Revelation. It was sealed up and sent to him. Pergamum means marriage, and it speaks of the time from 312 to 590. And this is important that you understand this about end times. This is where Constantine, who was a Roman emperor, married the church with Rome and perverted Christianity. This was a big deal. For you to understand end time prophecy, you've got to know about this. Christianity was perverted right here. Constantine married Christianity with Rome and brought, they brought, started bringing in paganism as well. It perverted Christianity. And this led into the Catholic dark, dark Ages. 
um, that era where there was uh, the Hebrew roots of the faith were gone, the gospel, the light of the gospel was snuffed out. And, and I'll get to this at a later time, but do you guys remember Daniel's statue? Daniel's statue had that head of gold, which was Babylon. Then it had the arms of silver, which is the Medes and Persians. Then it had the belly of bronze, which was Greece. But then it had the legs all the way down to the toes, which was iron. Now I want you to listen to what I'm telling you. Remember, Constantine married Christianity and Rome together. Rome, it never stopped until Jesus comes in that statue. It never stopped. Hear what I'm saying. There, you know, from Babylon to the Medes and Persians, you had gold, then silver. There's a definite break. Gold, separate, silver, separate, bronze, separate, iron, all the way to the end. Iron never stops in this statue. Iron was Rome, but it went all the way down into the ten toes, which speak of the Antichrist system. Because Rome fell in the natural, but it lives on through the Vatican. Hello? I hope y'all see that. I'll get to it at a later time. But whenever Israel was scattered, their temple was destroyed, which I talked about last week, and they scattered, it went from something that had Hebrew roots, a Jewish foundation, it was very powerful, to all of that was lost. And now it became a Western Gentile thing only, with no Hebrew roots. And Constantine and other popes, you know, Constantine was really the first pope, if you will. Now think about this. Here's a Roman emperor who has questionable, is he really even safe for real? Nobody really ever knew. And he's marrying Christianity with Rome and the paganism of Rome, and he's their first pope. This is not something that is a good beginning here. Something shifted there that was not good. All right, that was up till 590. Then the next um, book that was written, the book of Revelation, sealed up and sent to Thyatira, which means continued sacrifice. This speaks from 590 to 1517. This was the, the time of the Dark Ages, around a 1,000 years of the Dark Ages, the reign of the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church pursued and murdered any true Christians that would emerge. All right, then Sardis. Sardis means those escaping, and it speaks from 1517 to 1750, and that was the German monk Martin Luther, who God raised up to lead the Great Reformation, and he nailed his, uh, was it 91 Thesis on the door in Wittenberg and declared that he was leaving Catholicism. He led a split off of it, and his whole message was salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It does not come through the Catholic Church or any other means like that it comes through faith in Christ alone and of course they tried to kill him they put a hit out on his life but God was with them and thank God that Protestant Reformation took place and today all of you are here free from all of that because of that Reformation all right then the next letter um, the book of Revelation was sealed and sent to Philadelphia which means brotherly love and this speaks of the time from 1750 to 1905 when all these great revivals took place brother Zach has been teaching on you had the mid 1700s with the Wesley brothers remember that 
1805 or so, the Cambridge Revival we talked about. 1850 or so, you got Finney. Around 1900, you got Wells and then Azusa. You guys know about all these revivals. We've talked about them. This is the era of great revivals here, brotherly love. And now, get this, the last generation, our generation, Laodicea. There's such a warning in this, I hope people get. It was an area of wealth and medical studies and Isalve was famous from there. It is a warning for our final generation before Christ comes to not fall into the great deception of being lukewarm and not ready for his coming. The book of Hebrews says to not forsake assembling yourselves together as some are in a manner of doing all the more as you see the day approaching. We see the day approaching. And what do you see? You see less and less people going to church. Hello? There's a great divide about who is really going to go after God with all their heart, but God has always had a remnant. Don't be discouraged. He's always had a remnant. All right. And here's what I want to close with is this. The first six chapters of Revelation. You think I can do this in five minutes? Hold on, time me. Ready? Here we go. Ready, set, go. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. I'm just going to give you kind of the general idea. But if you guys want to go back and read this, it's really awesome. So Revelation chapter 1, Jesus reveals himself to John on the Sabbath walking among the lampstands. It's a holy place scene. He's walking in the midst of the churches, okay? Revelation 2 through 3 are the seven churches addressed. I just gave you that. Okay? But see, here's that whole morning sacrifice. You know what Jesus is doing here? In the morning sacrifice, remember they would go in and they'd have to open that big door. But what's the first thing they would do is trim the lampstand. They would trim those wicks on the lampstand. Remember that? You know what Jesus is doing here among the seven golden lampstands dealing with these seven churches is he's trimming the wicks. He's getting them ready for his coming. He's cutting out the old junk that needs to go. He's pruning them. All right, then Revelation 4, the wicks have been trimmed and now the door in heaven flings open and, he's, and they hear a voice in heaven saying, come up here. And it's like the morning sacrifice when they would open that temple door. This is the catching away of the bride. Did you know from this moment on, in the first part of Revelation up to this point, all you hear talked about pretty much is the church, the ecclesia. After this happens in Revelation 4, come up here, the church is not mentioned one other time until Jesus actually comes. There's a great shift that's going to happen when the catching away of the bride takes place. The focus is going to be back on Israel. Revelation 5 talks about a scene in heaven who is worthy to open the scroll. John began to weep. We sing a song that has to do with that. Every time I read that, I think about Brianna singing that song. Actually, it goes in my head, okay? None was found worthy, okay, in all of heaven. And John began to weep. And then there was an elder that said, don't worry, you know, Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. So it leads up to this. Revelation 6, the seven seals on the scroll. How many want to know what the scroll is? What is this scroll that Jesus is able to open that nobody else can open? I believe it is the, the title deed of the earth that what Adam lost when he sinned, 
Satan stole it from Adam, so to speak, that authority over the earth, that Jesus, when he died and raised from the dead, that's why he's the only one worthy, because he's the only one that's died and raised from the dead on behalf of humanity, to open that scroll. And that scroll, when he pops all those seals open, it's the title deed of the earth to come back and rule and reign and set up his kingdom as king of kings and lord of lords all right so there were seven seals on it what that is you got this big scroll and you got wax across here that was little drops of wax back in those days and a king would use a ring and he would put it in that hot wax and it would be marked okay so if somebody opened the scroll the wax is broken you can't go back and fix that they know hey the scroll was open so if you were dumb enough to be a courier for a king and you were carrying his parchment okay and he had his seal and you get to where you're going and the guy looks at it and goes hey man the seal's broke <laughs> it's like you make all the excuses you want in the world you're probably going to hear off with his head you know and that's you can make all the excuses oh the horse you know saw a snake and it fell i'm telling you i dropped it yeah right so jesus begins to pop these seals on the scroll the first seal when he pops it there is a rider of the white horse that's wearing a crown he's going forth to conquer and most people traditionally believe this speaks of the antichrist really coming to power most likely he's already in the world and already active but when this seal is popped he really starts coming to power does that make sense you know, he actually could be in the earth today. This is how close we are to Jesus' coming. He could be alive and well right now. Seal number two is popped. There's a rider on a red horse of war, and he is released to remove peace from the earth, and great wars are going to begin to break out. You think war is bad now? Wait till these seals are popped. Seal three the black horse of famine he's released and all of a sudden remember it talks about so much for barley and so much for grain and all this what it's saying is is just like what happened to you remember here recently russia their currency lost value so bad you know when you have to pay for example you go to the grocery store and a loaf of bread that cost you like a dollar fifty and now you're paying like 25 dollars for a loaf of bread i mean that's kind of what you're dealing with here great famine is breaking out seal four a pale green horse it's pale green in the greek just so you look that up pale green horse of death and hades follow close behind so my goodness you got this grim reaper looking horse released in the earth okay and he's he's going forth and he's causing all these people to die through either war or famine or sickness or all the different things going on he's calling all these people causing all these people to die and Hades, which is hell, a spirit of hell, is following right behind him to drag him down into hell. This is not a pretty scene. And then you got seal five, the martyrs given robes under the altar. Probably, think about this, you guys that have been under my teaching for a while. This is probably the golden altar in heaven's temple. Isn't that something? Here's the martyrs who've given their life for Jesus their lives are like a fragrant incense of worship to God because they've died for the faith and where are they placed underneath the golden altar and they're given white robes to wear and let me tell you something we could be so close to this that some of these guys I, I don't know this for sure but some of these guys just here recently that 
ISIS killed for the faith, they could be right now underneath the golden altar in heaven, be given white robes. I'm just saying, you know. All right, seal number six. Great terror on the earth will break out. A shaking like you wouldn't believe. Um, it says in the Bible, stars fall. There could be a, a metaphorical you know, analogy with that, I don't know. But anyway, just making the point here that great terror is going to break out on the earth. There's going to be great earthquakes and, and, and people are going to be terrified. It's said that the sun will turn dark like an eclipse, the moon to blood. Does that sound familiar? And then seal seven, silence in heaven. Just like the day of atonement. You can see some parallels. I want you, I'm just going to sow this out there to people that, are, that understand these things because I've taught them so much before. But there's a connection with the Day of Atonement also with what's going on here. Because when the priest on the Day of Atonement would go in to the Holy of Holies once a year, you guys know what I'm talking about? Everybody would just sit there silent for about 30 minutes while he went in. And you remember how the, they would take that uh, goat and they'd wander it off and out in the wilderness and whoever it was had to make sure it was shoved off a cliff or something so it didn't find its way back. Remember that? There might be a parallel there with how Satan is thrown out of heaven, like a casting down out of the second heaven, like a casting down. There might be some parallels with the Day of Atonement, metaphorically speaking, and what's going on here. But the silence in heaven... And then that begins the trumpet judgments. So here's the last thing I want to say is this. Our Hebrew roots. Jesus told a parable of a certain king that prepared a feast and invited many to come. But they made light of it and went on their way. In the book of Daniel, King Belshazzar could not read the writings on the wall. You guys remember that story? Every time I read that, I laugh. Because the guy, his, literally, it says in the Bible, his knees shook and knocked together. He was so scared. I mean, wouldn't you freak out? There was a hand that appeared out of nowhere. This hand just appears and begins to write on the wall. And it scared him half to death. But this guy was so goofy, he took the holy stuff of God out of the temple, the, the goblets and things that they used in the temple. He took them, and he's sitting in here partying, eating his rack of lamb or whatever, and getting drunk with those, and it... it it ticked off God and his hand came wrote on the wall and it basically basically said your days are numbered he crossed the line but listen Bel Belshazzar did not know how to read the writing on the wall but you body of Christ are called to understand the times that we're living in there will be a great division in the church who will embrace Israel and our Hebrew roots in these last days and who will reject them. You're seeing this right now with the wars that's going on in Israel right now. You're seeing a great divide. It's like God is taking his sword and drawing a great divide in the earth. Who's going to stand with Israel and who isn't? This is a big deal to God. I'm just telling you. And also, there's going to be a great, great division between who will continue in holiness and faithfulness to the word of God and who will reject the Bible and its values. Did y'all get that? Let me read that again. There's gonna be a great divide on who will continue in holiness and faithfulness to the word of God and who will reject the Bible and its values. 
right now there's a preacher, well-known preacher that um, has come out real publicly on Oprah saying, you know, reading the Bible or whatever is a, is a 2,000-year-old document that's irrelevant today. And the sad thing is, he's, he, if I understand this, he pastors a huge church. So you've got a lot of people that are listening to this guy. What does the Bible say? There's going to be false prophets, false teachers, seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. You can't just follow everybody blindly. But there's going to be a great division. <laughs> and one of the things I see right now is a rejection toward holiness. God is a holy God, and it says in the Bible, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And God is calling us to go deep into him um, and get on God's time clock, okay? I, I'm just going to read this, but you guys are familiar with this already. But the Sabbath, the understanding that God, like I talked about last week, he's, he's not on the, the, the Mayan calendar. Remember, I was joking about that. I, I put on that... I put that oil cookie on Facebook and said the Mayan calendar said it was going to, but the oil cookie says it'd be okay. Anyway, but the, the God's not on the Mayan calendar and, and he's not in other calendars. He's not in even our Gregorian calendar. He is in the biblical Hebrew calendar. And it would be beneficial for all of us to understand that and connect to that calendar because it puts you on God's timetable and understanding what he's doing in Israel is God's fig tree. But here's how I want to close this out. Listen, let's make sure everything is right with God. That's the main thing, okay? So, Lord, as I close this out tonight, we want to make sure everything is right. In these last days that we're living, listen, we've got to forgive people. You know what? Let me just tell you, forgiveness is not an option in the Bible. If we don't forgive other people, the Bible says we will not be forgiven. And if, you're, if you die and you're not forgiven, where do you think you're going to go? Okay. So unforgiveness is not an option with God. And it doesn't matter to me because I've been through some stuff. My wife's been through some stuff. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how much I've done made up my mind, I'm going to forgive people. It don't matter. No matter what they do, how much it hurts, I'm going to forgive them. And no matter how much my flesh may not want to, I'm still going to pray for them. I'm still going to bless them. And I'm going to move on with my life. Bottom of the line. I've done made up my mind that I'm not going to let other things other people do cause me to get in unforgiveness and bitterness and separated from God. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I've made up my mind. So we're in a war and Satan knows how to target people. And he knows that some people have a, a tendency towards certain things, like maybe a tendency to be bitter. And there's tendencies there, and so he'll try to target them. Look, we've got to put on the armor, and no matter how much it hurts, we've got to forgive people. And another thing is we've got to stay pure and holy. We've got to guard our minds. We've got to guard our eyes. And we've got to stay pure before God, holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And so we're going to be going here in a month or next month in March. We're going to be really doing a deep prayer and fasting, a deep consecration unto God. And we're going to finish it um, at Passover and have a special Passover service of what they call Passover Seder here. It's going to be really powerful. But tonight I want people to make sure everything is right with you and the Lord. God loves us. He wants to forgive us. But you know what? A lot of the problem 
I've been in a ministry around 20 years. And y'all please hear me with this. A lot, I would say the overwhelming majority of what Christians struggle with boils down to not wanting to truly, truly repent of something. True repentance, it's one thing to say, God, I'm sorry, and then go out and keep doing it. That's not repentance. True repentance is where you have made up your mind, I am, come hell or high water, I am not doing this anymore. Amen? That's true repentance. That's why Jesus said, it's better to pluck out an eye and go to heaven with one eye than hell with two. It's better to cut off a hand and go to heaven with one hand than hell with two. He was basically saying, do whatever you got to do to cut out of your life whatever you got to cut out to make sure you're right with God. But most people, when it comes down to true biblical repentance, they're not really truly willing to give up certain things and because they're not willing to truly repent with all their heart, they still struggle in those areas. It may be relationships you don't need in your life, and you know you don't. And you know that you need to cut it off. Then why belabor the issue? It may be things in your life that you know are not right. It may be stuff you watch or listen to or whatever, and deep down you know that the Holy Spirit is grieved and you know it's definitely not beneficial to you. It's not beneficial to your spiritual walk. It's certainly not producing a good atmosphere in your home and you know that. Then why continue? Why not cut it out of your life? Whatever it is. I feel the Holy Spirit right now just starting to really deal with something. I preach this way because I love and care about people. And you're not going to hear this too many places anymore. But God is wanting a holy people. And when he comes and that shofar blast happens, I want to be part of that remnant that has made themselves ready. And I want to go with him. I want to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to be with him. So right now, he's trying to trim the wick. He's trying to cut out of our lives things that need to go. But we have to be willing to repent and get it out. It may be uh, pornography, whatever it is. Get it out. Whatever you got to do to get that out of your life. There was a movie that Kirk Cameron was in, and he took a baseball bat and beat his computer senseless. You remember that? Cut it out. But hey, he was trying to say there, whatever you got to do to get it out of your life, you're going to do it. If that means you take a baseball bat to the computer, seriously. It's better to go to heaven without a computer than to go to hell having a computer all the days of your life. So whatever it is, wherever you're at right now, just close your eyes, Brother Zach. Maybe you can have some music going and, and we can shut down recordings. But those that are listening to this, before he shuts down these recordings, I want you to hear me. Make sure. You may be listening to this in another country. You may be listening to this driving down the road. This goes all over the world through the internet. You better make sure that things are right with you and Jesus. I'm telling you that because I love and care about you and I want to see you in heaven. Make sure that you cut out of your life whatever you need to, okay? All right, brothers, go ahead and shut down recordings. But those that are here, close your eyes. And I want you to talk to the Lord yourself. This is your relationship with him. You're, this is between you and him. 
but are there things that need to go? Have we been unfaithful in areas? Has God called us to do things that we're not doing? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying there? Has God spoken to us to be doing things we're not doing? Have we been faithful with our tithes and offerings? Have we been faithful with church attendance? Have we been faithful to use the gifts that he's given us? If you're called to something like to go out with some of our, um, you know, mom, Melissa and others that go out witnessing and are you faithful to get out there these are areas, Lord, cut out of me any unfaithfulness. Forgive me, Lord, for areas that I haven't been doing what I know I need to be doing. so impressed we've got people that travel pretty far we have a family that comes every other week from Oklahoma made this our church home but then there's people that live here in Garland right around the corner that don't go to church you know you're seeing the change there I mean the difference between the way things need to be and, and how people have grown so lukewarm where you're at just talk to God confess things you need to and we'll pray for people here in a moment but Lord we just ask forgiveness forgive us Lord for these areas and I know people may be real specific but Lord forgive us if we've been unfaithful forgive us Lord if we've let things in our lives that we shouldn't let in our lives it's time to get on the other side of this stuff forgive us Lord cleanse us we want a deep consecration unto you we want to be ready for your coming